This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Well, with that, let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where we will be. We've been there now for several weeks, and we're just going to study four verses together this morning, starting at verse 18. These four verses really form a a larger unit. It goes all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. And so when we read 18 to, to 21 now, read it in front. You have to read it in front of the backdrop of verse 23. It's part of this larger section. Verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it as though you are working for the Lord and not for men. And that's every part of our lives. So whether it's one of the most important decisions you'll ever make, or you are doing something that seems kind of menial, your approach should be the same. This is for God and his glory. And and that's kind of the, the perfect approach for us when we think about life at home. And that's where Colossians 3 brings us to this morning. Sometimes it's the most important things we'll do. Sometimes it just seems so mundane. Home is where the most important parts of our lives are are worked out. Some of the most important decisions you will ever make are lived out at home. But much of what you do there feels very, very ordinary. So just think about this for a minute. Your marriage, if you are married is probably the single most determinative factor for your entire course of life. Yet, apart from really a few big days here and there, most of what it means to be married is just so routine. Same thing for parenting. You will never do anything more influential in the life of another person quite like you will as a parent, yet being a parent almost never feels like you're doing anything other than helping with math and making grilled cheese. But you will never do anything more important in your entire life. You think you're just folding laundry, but you're doing something on a grander scale that's so profound. And so it's precisely that day-to-day rhythm, in the day-to-day rhythm, that we need to be reminded that what we're doing will either glorify, bring glory to God, or it will dismiss an opportunity to bring him glory. You have an opportunity with everything that you do at home, everything you do in your daily life, everything you do as part of your routine, to make one of two choices. You either bring glory to God, or you miss out on an opportunity to bring him glory. And if you miss out on those opportunities, what actually happens is is you kind of bring a a self-fulfilling prophecy to fruition. If you do what you are called to do for the glory of God, you will more and more find his glory there. You will more and more see his glory in all things. But if you don't, 
It's that kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. You'll actually come to the conclusion that you sort of feared at the beginning that if you're not looking for chances to bring him glory, you'll just see most of what you're doing is, is almost nothing at all. It just doesn't matter much. But what you do, day to day, minute to minute, matters a great deal. It matters because if you use every minute to bring glory to God who is the most glorious being in all the universe, the most glorious thing that will ever be, you've been created in his image, and you've been uniquely gifted with opportunities to glorify him. So if you take advantage of those, you will use every minute of your life to do the best thing, the most glorious thing that you'll ever be able to do. You will exalt him, and your life will have meaning and purpose beyond anything that you'll be able to know in this world. And so that's what we talk about this morning, is every minute, specifically we'll concentrate on the home this morning, we'll get into some uh, further things away from the home next week. Every minute in the home is given for the glory of God. So let's read, follow along, I'm going to read Colossians 3, starting at verse 18, just four verses that will work together this morning. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So before we get into the word, that everybody's eyes were drawn to, everybody wants to talk about in this passage, we'll just call it what it is, submit. Let's talk about where all of these words come from. Before we get to that one word, let's talk about where all the words come from. So if you've been here most weeks and you've been sort of reading along with Colossians at home a little bit, these verses were just kind of transitioned into wives submit to your husbands. They might kind of come as a surprise to you. Because they can seem small compared to what has come before them. Colossians chapter 1 is all about the universal, eternal, cosmic preeminence of Christ. And the powerful hope of the gospel. It says that ruined sinners can be made right with God Because Jesus Christ has sacrificed himself for them, for us, for ruined sinners. Chapter 2 is this warning that that the ways of the, the, the free gift from God may be distorted by some in an effort to draw people away from the Christian faith. And so men and women reject it. The first part of chapter 3 is an invitation to a life no longer conformed to a pattern of death, but to the new ways a person who has been promised resurrection along with Christ will live. And here we are at the end of chapter 3, talking about marriage and family and the home. So it can seem... Like maybe we're, we're pouring these things into a funnel. 
And we've started out with these big, grand realities, the preeminence of Christ, the possibility of, of being, having the faith distorted and, and people rejecting it, how one who has been raised with Christ will live. Like they've been kind of poured into a funnel. And then we've sort of swirled around for a little while, and now we're sort of at the, the bottom of the funnel, the smaller end, and we're sort of draining these things out. But let me just, let me submit something to you. I think it's actually the opposite of that as we work through Colossians. I think we should, in a sense, turn the funnel upside down. It's not that the things of chapter 1 are the glorious truths of our faith, and now we've sort of worked our way down to these kind of perfunctory matters where the Apostle Paul is sort of wrapping up the letter and he's got a few more things to say that he kind of wants to get out. It's actually that we've been working up to the most amazing and the profoundest implications of your life and everything that God has made you to be about. Christ isn't just preeminent over the Milky Way galaxy. He's the Lord of your life. And what he's doing is he's telling us that while he is supreme over everything, earlier in this chapter it says that Christ is all and in all. He is at the same time personal to you and intimate. And though he is glorified by power of a supernova or the the force of of a black hole, he is just as much glorified when you are a devoted husband or wife or you are a patient parent. And so let's not move past that too quickly. We can look out deep into the universe and see stars burning hundreds of millions of light years away, and that glorifies God. But he is equally glorified, equally made great when you love your husband or wife well. And you give your kids courage to trust in the Lord. Equally. So I think this is not what happens when the gospel swirls around and pours out. This is what happens when the gospel is poured in. We see that it expands to cover every area of life. Everything is encompassed by the gospel. So for the glory of God and with the hope of the gospel, how can we be more of what God is calling us to be? There are four groups of people here, so let's just keep this simple and address each one. Four groups here. So first, verse 18, one more time. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And that's not meant to be separated from what comes next, so let's just read that too. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. These two ideas go together. And in, in fact, I don't think you can rightly understand one without the other. So many people will focus on the, that instruction for wives to submit to their husbands, and what they will read 
when they hear that word submit, when they read that, read, read that word submit, is they will read into that a division and a power dynamic and, and even a, a struggle. They'll think of submission like a, a wrestling match where two people wrestle each other until one is pinned and the other submits to the one who has pinned him and one has been declared a winner. And so if that's the lens that you are reading through, I have to first start out by saying you'll never have the right idea. But on the other hand, if you read it through a gospel lens and ask how does this bring glory to God, the right idea actually comes pretty quickly. The first thing you need to know about submission is that submission is not only God's idea for marriage, Submission is actually what God has been doing forever. God is the first one to submit. So within his triune nature, God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And one of the great mysterious workings of the Trinity is that while each person is fully God, and they are all co-equal to one another, the Son has been submitting to the Father for all time. It's made clearer, even, that submission when the Son is incarnated as Jesus Christ. So just listen to a little bit of Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's talk about what's happening here. The last few words of that, those verses, Philippians 2, that would be verse 11, are that this is all done to the glory of God the Father. And what's being done is the, Father is, the Son is submitting to the Father, and then in turn, the Father exalts the Son. The Son submits to the Father, the Father exalts the Son. And the way of being together, that dynamic for the father and son, that that wasn't new for them. When the son was was incarnated or, or went to the cross, that's not something that just began at that point. This all comes from the fellowship that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been enjoying forever and ever and ever. And so when you hear submit, don't picture a hierarchy of one who is less valuable or less precious or less important here in that the activity and the work of God, the Son, who is worthy of all honor, of of all praise. And so the first thing that we need to hold in our minds is that the very idea of submission comes from the heart of God. And he knows everything about it because he's been doing it forever. And the second thing we need to know is that while, while it may seem like the harder role 
given by God in marriage is, is, is actually not. The harder burden belongs to the husband. When a husband is commanded to love his wife, that's not referring to a Valentine's Day card and a, a gift card for a manicure. To help us see what Paul means by love, let's just go to a closely related passage. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, this is something very familiar, similar, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how has Christ demonstrated his love for the church, we should ask? And the answer is, he gave himself up for her. You and I are the church. And Jesus gave himself up for us. He gave everything for us. We already read in Philippians 2, he left heaven for us. He suffered and bled for us. He was silent when tortured for us. And, and though we didn't deserve it, he submitted, was submissive to the point of death for us. And so husbands, and I'm, I'm in this group, I'm a husband. We are called to love our wives like that. Been shuffling through all these ideas of, of what kind of a picture to give you of, of what this relationship of, of sacrificial love and joyful submission is like, and I think I finally came up with one I like. It's not perfect. Almost no illustration or picture of something that is earthly will describe something that's meant to be holy like God's holy. So there's always a shortcoming, but I like this one. And the picture that I want you to have in your minds is like you're in a canoe. First, let me just say that I think canoeing might be the single greatest setting for a marriage retreat or marriage counseling that I've ever been able to picture in the entire world. I can know a couple for years see them all over the place, and still not get a good sense of what the dynamic is like between them. You put a couple in a canoe, push that thing out into a river, the whole world will know what it's like at home in like 15 minutes. You've got the husband yelling at the wife, he, like he knows what he's doing, you know, paddle, no, your other left, and the wife's going, why wouldn't you just listen to the five-minute demonstration on how to steer this thing? And they're zigzagging all over the river because neither of them have any idea what's going on. And so canoe is a good picture because much of the momentum and the trajectory of a canoe is going to be set by the current of a river, and that's how life is. You'll have some chances to set the course. You can see some of the obstacles coming. But most of the time, you'll just feel like you are along for the ride. But just like being in a canoe, when it's decision time, see something dangerous ahead, you need to pick a route through the rocks, there's a fallen tree in the middle, the river forks, something like that, you first need to work together and second, you'll have by far the greatest chance of success when you each do your part. You need to work together and you need to each do your part. So to keep a canoe moving straight ahead, you need to paddle in unison. If one person is paddling a canoe, you go in a circle. If people paddle in unison, you can go straight. But when you need to avoid something, 
when you need to make a sharp turn, that works best when one person puts their paddle in the water and uses it like a rudder, and the other person waits and lets the current take the canoe. If you're both trying to be the rudder, you're going to crash and capsize. If one person's the rudder, you'll avoid whatever's coming up. So marriages work best and glorify God most when husbands and wives are doing what God has called each of them to do together. Husbands are called to lead the family, but that isn't a call to getting our way and lording over other people. It's a call to servant leadership where like Christ, we are called to sacrifice everything we could have so that those we love and have been called to lead can be the people that God has called them to be. They will be blessed when we sacrifice. Husbands saying we. There's no calling in the world that demands more of you than being a husband and a father. And then here's the most beautiful part. Ephesians 5.32, a little bit later from what we read, says that marriage reveals a mysterious mystery about Christ. And it takes two people to reveal the mystery. Christ submits for the good of the church, and Christ sacrifices because he loves the church. In marriage, each spouse gets to play part of that Jesus role. When a wife submits and a husband sacrificially loves, together they're a picture of the gospel. Because in order to deliver the gospel, the good news, Jesus has to submit to death and he has to sacrifice himself. It takes both a husband and a wife to reveal the mystery of the gospel in marriage. So husbands... Love your wives sacrificially. Wives, you're called to submit to your husband. And let me just give you, I have to give you two clarifications and then one encouragement. So here are the clarifications. Number one, being called to submit to the man you are married to. These are to wives. Being called to submit to the man you are married to does not mean that you are called to submit to all men. We clear on that? Men, let's also be clear on that. The only person called to submit to you is your wife. Sadly, what could be a, a glorious picture of the gospel has often, I'll just call it like it is, been perverted in some churches where women are made to feel inferior to men and that they are somehow to be under the authority of all men. That is not the biblical teaching. It's wrong. Clarification number two, your submission to your husband should only go so far as it is fitting, as far as it is fitting in the Lord. Unfortunately, uh, many Christian wives do not have Christian husbands. And so if that's the case for you, 1 Peter 3 says that you should stay devoted to your husband and you should pray for him. It even says that that may be the means that God uses to draw your husband to himself, to God. However, and this is the clarification, that devotion, that should, submission, should not extend to the point of abuse. If your husband, and I, I would say this to any spouse, if you are being abused, 
You need to remove yourself from that unsafe situation and you need to reach out for help. A call for wives to submit to husbands does not mean wives should be abused. If you're a husband and you have done that, shame on you. And if you're a wife, know and please be assured that I will not judge you, we will not judge you, our elders, we will help you and we want you to come if that's you. So those two clarifications, now an encouragement. If you haven't done this well, if you have not been a loving husband or a wife who has submitted to her husband, my encouragement is that there is grace, hope, and the future is there for you. There are at least two wrong ways to take this home. The first is that you hear What you hear now is where your spouse has failed and you think, you will go home thinking that you will change them by going home and pointing out all the ways that they failed to do this to them. That will almost certainly not soften them to these truths. What it will do is it will make them feel attacked and when people are attacked, they do one of two things. They retreat or they fight back. Neither of those are going to help you. So don't go home and think it will be at all helpful to point out all the ways that your spouse has failed. The second wrong way to hear this is to assume that past patterns have to be future ones. God's grace is sufficient for our weakness, and he's made all the more glorious when we bring our weaknesses to him and ask him to make us strong. So every once in a while, I, I run into a couple that says, yeah, our, our marriage is, is great and, and easy, and, it, and it's never been any other way. And I mean, if that's true, praise God for that. But I've been married a while, and I think I've got a pretty good marriage, and we're both Christians, and we both go hard after the Lord individually and together. And I really do have to admit, or ask, is, is that true? When somebody just has no story of ever struggling in their marriage, I have to ask, is that true? Are you being honest? The the best marriage stories I hear are the ones where couples are able to admit where they're broken, where they're selfish, and, and, and where they've realized that at times they've been more in this for themselves than for one another, and God has taught them a better way. And so my encouragement for you is if you feel like you have failed in this, then God still has a future for you to learn and to grow and to receive grace and to do better. You have an opportunity to go home today and do this. I love to hear about husbands who are trying to love their wives more deeply, even though they've been married for 20 or 30 years. Because you know what? That's real love. That's real love. When you're trying to win a girl and woo her and you're romantic and you're serving her, I mean, that can be love, but that's just as easily love for yourself because you want her. You're, you're, you're willing to work to win her. But when you've been married for 30 years and you're still working to woo her, that's something. Because she's already in. Like, you've already got her. But when you're still at work on that, come on. That brings glory to God. And so if this hasn't been you or this hasn't been your marriage, 
There's grace for that. And the same gospel that your marriage is meant to be a picture of gives you hope that starting to work on it now means that whatever it was in the past doesn't have to be that way. It can be something different in the future. And I would add, if you go home and your husband or your wife wants to talk about this, really wants to change, the quickest way to shut that down will be to laugh at them or to say, hey, you'll never do that, or to, you know, when they, when they really want to change, but this Wednesday they do something, and you point out, you say, I thought you were going to change. That, that, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Understand that long-held patterns take time to break. Encourage them, and you will see change, and your future will be brighter in this. And so if you want a better marriage, the gospel is your hope and your guide. There are two more groups. These will be shorter. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So there are two commands for those under leadership in these verses. And you can actually learn much about the nature of what they are when you look at the words that the Apostle Paul chooses. So wives are called to submit to their husbands. Children are commanded to obey their parents. Submission has a strong quality to it. It's active. It's more like admiration or respect. You choose what you submit to. Obedience, on the other hand, there's, there's less of a choice there. And there's a reason that one is set of wives and the other is children. Wives may be called to follow their husband's leadership, but when you talk about submission, there's no doubt because that's an, there's an active quality. There's a giving of submission. It has to be something you give in order to be done rightly. So there's no doubt when a husband or when a wife submits to her husband that she's doing that as an equal. They're equal between one another and before the Lord. Children, though, with children, there is a clear hierarchy. Parents are given authority over children, and it will serve children best when parents learn how to obey, or rather when parents teach their children how to obey authority. That's why parents uh, ultimately help their children when they provide strong boundaries and consistent discipline. Hebrews 12 says that being disciplined as children helps us to learn how to follow God. And that's why, that's why these two groups are really tied together, almost, almost as tightly as husbands and wives. It, almost, it only works when both are doing what God has called them to do. So when the need for obedience in children is raised... It's no accident that, that right after that, fathers are told to pay careful attention to the effect that they're having on their children as unto the Lord. So there it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And, and this hits me just square in, in the face. Because it tells me what my job as a father is, and I know I don't do this well much of the time. So first, the command in Scripture is for children to obey parents. But does it occur to anybody else that about a third of children can't even read this yet? And the rest of the children who can are likely in stages of development where they're probably not going to give this serious consideration in the midst of fits of, of disobedience? 
So it's a command for children, but I think it's fair to say this is probably more for the parents and the adults who are going to be reading it and, and have the capacity to really give consideration to it. It's going to be thought through and it's going to be taught by parents. And that's why the instruction to fathers comes right after it. The effect of, of consistently provoking, oh, that's like being hard on or exacerbating children, will be discouragement because they will feel like they can never please you. So, dads, all parents really, your primary, here's what your primary job as a parent is your primary job is to instill courage in the Lord in your children. And you will not accomplish that by giving them orders and then chastising them when your orders are not followed. And what's more is that's not at all how God is as a father to us. He is patient and he is kind to his children. He's slow to anger, and what what abounds in him is steadfast love. Your children need discipline to be sure, but the kind of discipline they need and that serves them well will be such that they learn to obey you, and in turn, you will teach them to obey God. But it needs to be the kind of discipline, it needs to be the kind of instruction that will encourage them. Discourage and encourage literally mean to either remove courage, to discourage, or to put courage in, to encourage. And the best thing you could ever do for your kids is to give them more courage. And that will not come from you having a temper and losing it, or you barking out orders and demanding more than God has set them up to give. It will only discourage them. What will put courage into them is patient correction when they've erred and clarity of what obedience looks like and then lots of hugs and reminders when they fail that you will always love them even when they disobey. I like to tell my girls, you can never do anything to make me love you more, and I will never, and you will never do anything to make me love you any less. I love you the maximum, always. That's what gives your kids courage in the Lord. Because that's what gives you courage in the Lord. You are far more ready to come to God when you know what you will find in him is grace and embrace rather than punishment and being shunned. But that's what he gives you. When you bring your faults to him, he gives you Christ on the cross and payment for them. And he calls you son or daughter and says, welcome into the family. God's the father we need. So we can be the fathers, mothers, our kids need. So let's end with this glorious truth. Whether you're among the groups laid out here or not. Not everybody in here is. There's teaching for all of us in here though. 
So whether you're part of one of these groups or not, Christ is all of these things to you. He has submitted himself for you so that you could be saved. He has loved you to the point that he gave up everything for you. He was obedient to his father unto death so that you could live. And in promising you a resurrection after his, he holds out for you the kind of future that instills courage to face every circumstance of life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can face the future. We can face tomorrow, the song says, because we know that he lives. His resurrection gives us courage. And so to all of us, Christ is these things. Whether you fall into these categories or not doesn't, in, the, in a sense, matter that much because Christ has been them all to you. Let's pray. Ask God to seal these things on our heart. Our Father who is in heaven, glory be to your name. These things hit home quite literally. I pray for those within this room, listening online or later, that feel like they have blown it. Would you minister grace to them? And I pray for those who want more of you and more of this. Would you strengthen them? Remind them that they won't always do well or right. And for that, there's mercy. But when they try, from your hand is the gift of blessings. Make us more into the people that you have called us to be. For the sake of your name, for our own upbuilding, and for the upbuilding of this precious church. Pray in Jesus' name. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.